Hey everyone, Archie here. Just wanted to let you know that obviously we had some audio issues uh, in this one, especially with Leo's recording. You'll understand when you hear it. Unfortunately, he was making some solid points, so I couldn't just completely cut him out. But we do apologise for this and we'll do our best to fix the problem for next week. Enjoy the pod. So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Bregan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Tai Kefu. Did he get it? That's the match winner. That is the match winner. Kefu will never score a more important try. And look at the Wallaby players. That is the great result they wanted. It's a heartbreak for the All Blacks. Welcome back to another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast. Archie, Leo and Toby here to take you through what was a pretty exciting round one in Super Rugby. But first, Toby, I think we have a bit of news on the social media front, is that right? Yeah, that's right, actually. Yesterday, the under-16s team from Arden Rugby Club basically hit us up on Instagram. They just wanted a quick shout-out, seeing as though they're going into their final series this year. They're the second-ranked team going into that series, and... Basically, they've been a three-time champion of the Flanders area, so they're a pretty successful outfit. And um, you know, we want to give a, a shout out to all the boys on that team for their support of the podcast. And yeah, basically, I think they can be the official amateur rugby team of the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Great to see we have some followers all around the world. And good luck, guys, for the big game for the final. Bon chance for le jeu. Maybe we'll have to support France in their next Six Nations game and keep keep us updated, Arden Rugby Club. So tell us if you if you win the big game. Right, and that's a reminder for everyone to follow us on social media, Instagram at Running Rugby Podcast or on Facebook or on Twitter at Running Rugby Pod. Best way to keep up with all the extra information as these boys from Arden obviously do. But round one of Super Rugby is in the books. We have a few results to talk about. But before we get into the actual recap, boys, what was your... Favorite moment, favorite player from the weekend. God, I was really impressed with Quade Cooper. I know we're definitely going to talk about him one way or the other, and I'm really happy that we're talking about him in a positive way. Uh, I was really impressed with his combination with Will Genia. That just looks like it's picked up where it left off, which is excellent. Uh, he looked really mature and, and focused in attack. It wasn't all the theatrics of you know, some of the ways we've seen in the past. It was much more measured. Uh, he picked his moments to do some of the outlandish moves and flick passes and offloads, uh, but he kept it fairly sensible first round of the, uh, first round of the season. Uh, and then his defence, he really stood up in defence, and they did they did move him around a little bit in the line, but when he was in the line, he stood up, and, and he got some traffic, he got some um, heavy freight running at him, and I think it was only one tackle, really, where he was, I think it was a two-man tackle, and he was the, the turnstile in that one, but he took on Kurandrani as the last man in front of the try line and, and took him down and, and prevented a try there. Um, and he carried that team through to a win. The, the Rebels looked really strong and Quaid was a big part of that. So really great to see a guy like Quaid who's been out of this level for the past 12 months or more uh, getting a chance. Yeah, and I think for sure there would have been a lot of pressure on him. I think that goes without saying. Being out for a year is... It's a tough thing to overcome, I think, when you haven't played at the top level for at least 12 months or more. To come out like he did and have such a polished performance in all all aspects of the game, yeah, it was just terrific. And I think, like, if he can string a few more games together like that, there'll be, I think we talked about it on the weekend, Leo, there's going to be calls for him playing at 10 for the Wallabies if he keeps playing like he is. Yeah, and, and so there should be. Like, the team, that, the squad that is picked for the World Cup or even just the rugby championship beforehand should be formed, players should be... You know, they, they need to look at combinations and the Genia Quaid combination on the first pass looks like it's still pretty healthy. You see in the after match interview, him and Will Genia getting on like a house on fire, ripping each other with jokes and how good is it to have a combination that's round one, it's ready, it's stable, they're familiar, look like they've been playing together for years. That's that's great, but the Australian rugby needs more combinations like that and, and strong relationships between players so they back each other. Well, it's interesting to actually see Bill Meeks next to him, who spoke during, I think, or even today, I think, was talking about the fact that he's never played with Quaid in that capacity before. He didn't know Quaid very well before, on or off the field. And they seem like they're already forming a bit of a combination. And he spoke really highly of the way that Quaid's come in, 
you know, being really modest and opened up to everyone in, you know, every capacity. So people trust him and they're putting their faith in him. I think in that environment, it's just perfect for Quaid to thrive again. So really good to see him progressing as he is and let's let's hope he can continue on this upward trajectory. Yeah, I think we've seen a backline that wasn't quite unlocked last year under some of their previous tens and it looks like Quaid's got the key to maybe unleash that potent Rebels backline. But Toby, who, who was your player of the round? Someone that really stood out to me uh, was Braden Enor at 13 for the Crusaders. And he'd actually grabbed my attention last season, coming off the bench mostly, and, and generally playing a bit wider. He'd play on the wing, um, more of a utility player maybe last year. But because Jack Goodhue, who's obviously an all-black and has been, you know, re- had really good form last season, the moment he's injured. So Enol's basically had an opportunity to start there at 13. And he just, you know, he really matched up so well with Nonu on the weekend almost outplayed him I'd say and really strong runs great defense and just some of his like lateral passing and just passing on the run for those long passes was remarkable and at age 21 you can see him you know if there's some injuries at 13 for the All Blacks he could easily be playing there so it's just amazing to see this kind of I guess level of depth and we know we know from the last 10 years the creators have had that but and at such an early age as well it's not like this guy's been around for six seven years applying his trade in the mitre 10 cup or something he's three or four years out of school and he's playing at such a high level it's just i think really really great to see and i think everyone should keep an eye on him i don't know where he's going to get pushed out if jack could comes in maybe he'll play in the wing crusaders just yeah it's hard to fit it's like the rebels in their back line it's hard to fit all the good players on the field at mm-hmm. once yeah, it's amazing, especially as you say, playing 13, which most people would agree is one of the most difficult positions, especially in defence, to play. And for him to just slot in there with Jack Goodhue out, I'm sure the Crusaders love having that that amazing depth. Um, for myself, though, I was probably more involved in the Waratahs-Hurricanes game and following that a little bit. And I was thinking about putting up Carmichael Hunter as sort of my person coming in to replace Beal. Um, and he's, he definitely had a strong showing. Um, but I think I'm going to push it a bit more to some one of the more unknown names in the Waratah squad because they've been so decimated at prop. Um, it's Harry Johnson Holmes, the, the redhead prop. Um, where he was noted last year for his singing ability, but he's he's been thrust into a bit of a starting role in that team. And uh, there's even been some new sort of injury concerns around Kepu, so he may become the, the veteran role over the next couple of weeks in that team but seemed to really stand up he, he loves to take the ball up he's has multiple carries um has good hands and will take on the passing line as well but it's someone that i think is going to be important in the future for the wallabies i don't think he'll feature this year but i think if you give him a couple of years growth as a prop in super rugby he'll definitely be um pushing for a wallabies but and that's a guy who Again, Arch is very young. I think he's only 20, 21 years old. He's got a lot of confidence. He's he's a big personality, and he seems like he's a guy that everyone likes around the squad. So great addition to the Waratahs, and there were kind of signs of that last year, but he's had his opportunity now with um, Tom Robinson out. Um, he's going to have that probably loose head starting role for at least a little while. And, yeah, he's, he doesn't seem to be – well, he doesn't seem to have many weaknesses at all. He's good at scrum time. He's – and we have a timeline for Tom Robinson and his injury. So Tom Robinson did his ACL uh, in the Tokyo test, I believe. Uh, so he shouldn't be back. Uh, let me calculate. He's at least six months out. He's probably total, out but... till June or something. Yeah, so I think he, he may not be till the last couple of weeks of Super Rugby. So Because they talked about that happening and that putting a real question at Mark over his ability to play in the World Cup because he's going to be coming back pretty much into the Rugby Championship. So I don't think the Waratahs really are planning to have him back uh, or not really for much of the season at all. Yeah, that's a real shame. But like you said, it it opens up a door and the the best you can hope for as a Waratahs fan or even an Australian rugby fan is that we've got some depth and they're going to step up given the opportunity. So... Harry Johnson Holmes, the, the next one. Let's see how it goes. All right, let's get into the just formal recap of last week. And we'll start with Friday night, and that was down in Canberra, Brumbies versus the Rebels. And the Rebels taking this against the odds, 
though I have to say we I think we all tip the Rebels in this. Uh, but winning this one, 34 to 27. I really enjoyed this game, Arch. I, I thought the Rebels would have had the, the wood on the bumpies even at home. Uh, and they'd probably be pretty happily travelling to Canberra early in the season before the frost sets in. So they they showed their, their skills all around the park. A really good performance, 1-15. to 15. Uh, The Brumbies had their traditional strengths of play. They had their line-outs and their, and their scrums and malls and, and, and that sort of... Uh, I suppose that's not unexpected, but the, the amount they threw the ball around was definitely an improvement from last year. They were, they were much more... Uh, aggressive in attack, they were they were taking more chances. They didn't all come off. Uh, I think something that's still frustrating to see is uh, Tavita Kurandrani holding the ball when he has an easy pass outside or inside, and that's you know that's cost them a try again this week. Uh, they, need, they need to play one to fifteen. Like the Rebels did make sure they're using all their players, uh, and really uh, they'll be they'll be very unhappy they've lost one at home in front of the Canberra faithful. Yeah, and they spoke about prior to this game that they really wanted to make Canberra at home a fortress, and so they've kind of let that slip already. Um, I think they were a bit unfortunate in this game. They had, obviously, losing Pocock in the first, or well, less than 10 minutes. They lost Pulu from the wing um, with, a, with a nasty facial injury. Um, so I think there was, maybe even Spate came off, I think, later in the game as well. So they had a few injuries, which I think did impact the team overall because they had to kind of reformulate their um, their backline a little bit and losing Pocock, you're always going to suffer. So I think overall, look, the Brumbies, with this scoreline, the Rebels, there was we were full of praise for the Rebels, but to keep, you know, the, the, the scoreline only seven points, I think the Brumbies probably have a lot more in them. And I think their forwards showed a lot actually in terms of aggression and physicality. The back row is looking really strong with Valentini and McCaffrey, um, and if you have Pocock there, um, as well as the tight five, obviously Still we've spoken about them. Yeah, Pete Summer as well. I mean, look, we don't know what Pocock's. Apparently he's back at training, but we don't know what's going to happen this weekend. Big game against the Chiefs, um, but you know Pete Summer is you know well adept to kind of playing that fetcher role at seven, so they're kind of lucky that they've recruited him and he can slot in there for Pocock. And we discussed how impressed we were, me particularly, with Will and Quaid playing. Um, for the Brumbies, I think I was pretty impressed with uh, James Slipper and uh, Alan Alatoa. They, again, front row, held up the, the Brumbies scrum reasonably well. Slipper was obviously very fired up. Um, you know, he, like Quaid, like Carmichael, all playing to, to prove a point this year that they didn't deserve to be ignored by Brent Thorne. They're still up to the rigors of Super Rugby and, and international rugby, potentially. Strong air for him. Uh, Alatai, I think, got a try. Uh, that's a guy who was signed into, into Australian rugby in the long term, like Ralph Falau. So um, good to see them performing. And that, that'll, that'll be a strength for the Brumbies, their forward pack. Uh, and that base, they need the confidence that that brings for them to have that expansive game, which they're trying to improve on from last year. What did you guys think of Iray Simone at 12 for the Brumbies? Previous previous Waratah that they've let go in the past. I think I think I was positive about his chances. He looked fit. He looked ready to go. But he kind of, um, although his passing game was impressive to me, I think he some of his decision making still a little bit off. Um, I think he's still developing as a player. But he he does have potential. There's no doubting that. It's just whether if he makes certain mistakes in his game consistently whether the Brumbies will persevere with him or they'll go back to say Hawera at 10 and Liliofano at 12 um, I kind of like that bigger ball running combination there that's similar to what the Reds are doing at 12 at 13 he's a he's a massive body and you combine him with Kurandrani if they're running hard they're going to break a lot of lines so I think it kind of takes a bit of pressure off Liliofano as well in terms of carrying the ball but yeah I'd I'm not sure about Simone yet. I'm not sure he's kind of taken the next step into his, you know, a high high level Super Rugby player, perhaps. I, I reckon I back him. I don't like the constant switching. I don't think the Huera Lelefano combination was strong with Simone. Yeah, look, he made a terrible uh, decision to put some sort of cheeky kick that didn't come off in the Rebels early on. Uh, but, you know, he played through the rest of the game. 
and and he wasn't a weak spot particularly for that team. They need to they need to trust that he'll come on as the season goes on, and they'll be better for it if they, as you said, if they can keep that big centre pairing in Kudrani and Simone. As long as they're a strong unified pair in defence, that's for mine. That's the better combination. I think I dare say he'll get another chance this weekend, especially with. Um, those injuries there. It sounds like Spate and obviously Tony Pulu won't be playing. Tony Pulu with facial cheekbone fractures and will be out at least six weeks um, having surgery, I think, early this week. Uh, but you'd expect people like uh, Muirhead to come in and um, Taliolo, who was injured in one of the preseason games but had some big hype around him sort of early, probably to come back in versus the Chiefs. Yeah, and you're probably looking for a big game from Tom Banks. He didn't really show too much against the Rebels. Um, <clears throat> but I think, look, that, that Brumby's back line, Liliofano looked a lot more sprightly in this game, and he took the ball to the line well. He picked some gaps in there, and you know what? I think if he kind of gets some time, like we talked about, not making changes, if he gets some time at 10, I think perhaps he will kind of get back to what he's what he was maybe two, three years ago before some of the battles he'd had to go through. So I think, yeah, look, Brumbies, we've always worried about their back line and these couple of injuries don't help. But with guys like Muirhead, who's got a lot of talent, I think Tom Banks, if he steps up and a fit Karindrani and Simone firing, they've still got a lot of talent there. They just can't afford too many more injuries. So that's Brumbies still a bit worried about their backline. Anything that you can pick from the Rebels they need to concentrate on and improve? It was a pretty polished performance all round by them. Maybe leaked a few too many points. Yeah, I think defence, I think what they're trying to do in terms of playing flat is is a really good tactic and it, it works well with having Quaid running the setup there. Um, look, I think they'll get better. I think they've got more points in them. Um, but yeah, I think defence needs to be a focus because if you come up against the best teams, you're going to be hard-pressed to score 30 points. So they do need to work on that. But at the same time, you know, for a first game, the Rebels looked pretty bloody good. And um, you know what? I think they're only going to get better under Vessels. They, f- I feel like they're a more settled team this year. Feels like they've got talent at all positions. And and unlike the Brumbies, if anything, they're actually already down a couple of players injury. Like we didn't see out Coleman, we didn't see Jordan Lisi. There's guys that come back into that Rebel side, and just means the competition for positions is even more ferocious. Mm. Um, seem to utilise uh, Izzy Nisarani really well in his first first uh, game. So so he got heaps of ball. He got smashed by a couple of times, but that's just payback for leaving. But no, he, he persevered and, and they, they kept getting the ball. Quaid was getting the ball all over the park uh, to different players. They've got players like Jack Maddox lingering out on the wing and you, you give him half a sniff, put him in range of the ball and he's taking diving catches to score tries. Like, there's so much potential there uh, and, and we've only seen the part of it. I, I completely agree that defence should be the focus. If they can limit teams to 20 or fewer points, I would be comfortable and they'll score up to 30 against just about any team in the bar the very, very best. I think they're only, perhaps their only concerns maybe around prop, and as we we talked about last week, and I'm still not completely sold on Richard Hardwick as a number seven. I think he's a fierce and competitive player, and he, he kind of plays his heart out every game. But in terms of that real finesse and quality at number seven, I don't think... You know, he's a long-term option for the Rebels at seven. Um, but yeah, they've they've in terms of back rowers, obviously they've got so much talent, so that doesn't really matter too much. Um, you're going to get plenty of work rate from him and and aggression, so I think that kind of makes up for it. But in terms of ball playing ability and yeah, that just that really strong pilfering, they don't really have that. Bear in mind, he hasn't had a lot of time in the starting side because of the depth in their back line over the last you know, season or so. That he was always coming off the bench and playing 20 minutes here and there. So some time in the starting line force him to balance his game a bit more. Yeah, agreed. And losing Colby, which I think actually was a big loss in terms of that seven position. I think, you know, Richard Hardwick, like you say, might grow into that position a bit more because he was playing more of a fragmented role last year. And... He was battling through some injuries as well, so maybe some, you know, some continuity there at number seven will do him some good. 
So let's moving on from a positive performance there out of the Rebels and some positives for the Brumbies. Um, out to Brookvale on Saturday night, the Waratahs versus the Hurricanes. And what was a sold-out Brookvale as well? I was out there and it was absolutely packed, some great atmosphere. You had all the kids on the ground doing some warm-up drills, getting taught by some of the coaching staff and stuff beforehand. The Tars came out strong. They looked to get points on early with the penalties and hold back that Hurricanes fearsome backline, um, but just fell apart a little bit in the second half and ended up losing this by one point, nineteen to twenty, after a heartbreaking penalty goal missed by Bernard Foley. Yeah, that's hard to watch. Very unfortunate for, for Bernard Foley. He'll be played out in his hands. Wasn't the most difficult kick he's, he's had a go at. So, be very unfortunate, very unhappy to have missed that and drop the win potentially for the guys. Uh, but again, lots of positives for Waratah's team as well. Uh, we've had a mix mix up in the back line where we've got Adam Ashley Cooper and Carmichael Hunt. Serona pushed out the wing, and that seemed really stable. I, personally, I think Curtis Rona probably a better winger. Has really cut his teeth in NRL. He was a specialist winger, diving, try scoring. You know all the gymnastical sort of feats on the wing rather than being forced to play in outside centre with much more of a communicator role. Put Ashley Cooper into that position. Could you have a more experienced 13 in Australian rugby to to pull all those guys in position? I might be a bit old, but the mind is still strong, and I think that that will help the adjustment of the Waratahs' backline. Uh, and the forwards were, were pretty strong around too. I was disappointed Will Miller wasn't a starter, uh, but they did, they did a pretty strong back row as well. Um, look, I agree with Lee. I think Rona much better suited to being on the wing there. Um, he's a natural finisher, and you saw he had a bit of speed to actually close out that try mm. um, once Falau gave him the ball, um, which I thought was really impressive. I actually thought he might get caught there, um, but he did well. I think having a pivotal guy who's used to playing 13, it just makes a massive difference because we haven't had that for a little while now at the Tars, and... Putting Falau in there or putting Rona in there, um, you know, even people like Newsom occasionally that come into 13, it just doesn't have the same effect. You need a guy that's quite used to playing there defensively, just seems to really control the back line a lot, a lot better. Um, obviously, Adam Ashley Cooper, one of the best in the game at that. Um, and even though he's probably lost a bit of pace and he's, um, you know, he's nearly 35, I think, now. He, he does make the best decisions in defense. His communication is just perfect. He gets everyone around him in the right position. So I think that would have helped Carmichael a lot in terms of settling in as well. Um, but I guess it, it begs the question this week whether Carmichael at 13 will, will be able to, you know, exert the same control over the back line. You know, it's obviously going to help having Bill back in there at 12. But we hope, obviously, Adam Ashley Cooper long-term could come back into that 13 position, I think. Yeah, well, he's obviously missing this week. Um, bit of question over, he's in the concussion pr- protocol and so um, probably won't get out of that before their game versus the Sunwolves. Uh, so Beal coming into 12, Carmichael apparently shifting to 13, which I'm not sure I've ever seen Carmichael play at 13. He's played at 12, he's played wing, he's played fullback, but 13 might be a bit of a new experience for him. Uh, yeah, I might have seen him at 13 for the Reds a couple of years ago, and it might have been for one or two games only. I think it was just when he was starting out and they didn't really know exactly where to use him. Um, but he, he seemed to do all right, and I think that probably centers a lot around his defense because he's so strong there. Um, he's so good in contact. It actually doesn't matter that he's not a natural 13. He just he reads the game really well. Um, and that was, that was some of the, the feedback Bill had given... Um, in a press conference, basically, look, Carmichael is just, he's that type of guy you can rely on him. So having, you know, Carmichael outside Bill, I think will give KB a lot of certainty as well. And look, I think Rona and, and Newsom at the moment are pretty serviceable wings. And you got Falau there firing, he picked up that ball and, and really took off. Um, so he hasn't, he doesn't look like he's um, fatigued at all from a long season last year. He looks like he's ready to, ready to go for a big year. And look, I think the Tars have a lot of potential this year. It's just whether depth may be up front 
um, and in the second row, things like that are actually going to hurt them later on in the season if there's a bit of rotation and and um, and or injuries, I guess. Because I think the back row and I think our back line is, is one of the best in the comp. Yeah, our back row looks very strong. Really good to have Jack Dempsey back in there. He looks like he's fit. He looks like he's physical and he's going to be taking the ball to the line and making some metres, which I think is what the Waratahs were missing a lot last year. Um, Jed looked like he was getting back into good form as well. Um, I think he may have found a bit of a home there playing number uh, four or five or playing the second row back there and helping out there as well. Yeah, and Simmons looks fit and big as well. It's kind of weird. Like, I know that he didn't have a great game, but I feel like he's put on a bit more weight once he's come to the Tars. He looks like, in terms of his physical play, he's a lot more in the game in that way. So um, I think, yeah, you're right. Simmons and Holloway probably long-term options at at second row for the Tars this year. Um, Just jumping across to the Hurricanes quickly, I think they didn't have a great game and they were missing quite a few of their star kind of players um, in Proctor, you know, Bowden Barrett. And they've lost a number of their forwards from last year, which I think actually will make an impact. And that's, I think, part of the reason they're going to struggle to to take on the, the Crusaders up front. But look, I, this was kind of the Tars' opportunity to catch the, the, the Hurricanes a bit early in their season when they're not quite firing. And it's just unfortunate that, that Bernard, who was kicking pretty well during the night, just wasn't able to, to get that one over. And I think he just misjudged the breeze a little bit there at Brookvale and just swung to the left. But, um, yeah, you know, I think TJ Perinara was pretty realistic about the Canes' performance in their press conference. He thought they were a bit flat. They made a lot of errors and <clears throat> probably didn't have one of their best games. So I think look for, for better things to come for the Canes. We, we kind of thought that they'd be there and about what they were last year, but... I think some of the, the, the key losses maybe in their tight five and, um, yeah, I think Brad Shields as well actually will have an effect on their play. Well, you never know. They may get someone like Julian Savia back with the recent news out of Toulon about him. He may end up returning to New Zealand. Yeah, crazy story, that one. And we, I, I think most people saw the, the, the comments from the owner of Toulon Basically, look, I need a, a DNA DNA test because this is not the Julian Severe I paid for kind of thing. Um, and that was following a pretty disappointing loss by Toulon. I think Severe kind of wasn't at top pace and, and wasn't able to catch one of the wingers of the opposing team when he scored and the only just lost the plot at him. But They're playing um, him in centre, though. So, were they? I didn't yeah, he's been that, playing centre um, like the whole time. He's not even playing on the wing. Yeah. This is what you get at Toulon, though. They kind of they throw you in where they can because they have a lot of talent and they don't seem to... They have bigger squads, I think, in France as well, so they kind of move guys around more. But, um, look, he tweeted back, he, I think, yesterday and just said, look, um, regardless of what people think of where I should be playing and what I'm doing, I'm going to you know, honour my contract. I'm going to keep turning up and trading hard and, and trying to perform. And so he took the high road on this one and... And basically said, look, I'm I'm not going anywhere unless you you're actually going to terminate my contract. So um, I think it's a bit of a, a storm in a teacup in some some ways. I don't think that his his contract will be torn up. I think actually this was a case of the owner again of Toulon really not knowing how to deal with his emotions very well and and letting these kind of comments come out into the media, which isn't particularly helpful. Mm. Anyway, back to the Hurricanes. Where do you guys think that they finished? Do you reckon they're still second in the New Zealand Conference after that performance, or do you reckon they're going to be a bit further down? Hard to say. The Highlanders surprised me this week with their win over the Chiefs. I think the second spot is probably the most competitive spot in the conference. I think it's clearly Crusaders at number one, and I think any of the next four could potentially find their way into second. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the Blues were quite competitive against the Crusaders and we'll talk about that in a bit but Highlanders strong forward pack few disruptions in their back line but they look good as well and then the Chiefs are unpredictable they didn't have their full you know top 15 on the park so I think you're right Leo the Crusaders clearly number one at this stage but I would still back the Hurricanes I think if they get their full complement of players back on the park I think They've got so much firepower in that back line. I think the forwards, if they can just be, 
you know, if they're just par at least, I think that back line will be unleashed regardless. And and I think they're going to have a lot of points in them. So that's why I'd probably still pick them for number two. We did sort of say this last year as well, though. We expected the Hurricanes to be right up there regularly. And in fact, they were only just ahead of the Chiefs come come the finals, weren't they, in, in points score. And they didn't quite uh, unleash the 2017 version of themselves in 2018. So it'll be whether 2018's the aberration in the stats or the new norm. But when you've got Bowden Barrett, there's plenty of opportunity to hit hit some pretty high heights for points scored mm. in offense. Yeah, I'm sure that sort of changes the look of the team and the feel of the team a lot, running out with Bowden Barrett um, with number 10 on his back. Um, but you mentioned the Chiefs and Highlanders. That was the other game, the first game from Friday night. A bit of a battle of new fly halves with both teams sort of suffering all well, the Chiefs due to injury and the Highlanders due to losing people from the team like Sopawanga. Um, but you had Auburn Ledger, the 21-year-old, playing for the Chiefs, um, normally much more of a centre, and Josh Iowani coming in for the Highlanders trying to stake his claim on that number 10. But a close-fought game, and I think it took the the experience off the bench of the Highlanders with Aaron Smith and people like Shannon Frizzell coming on. And they just snuck away with it at the end, 30 points to 27 Highlanders win. Yeah, and it was a strange game for the Chiefs. Their back line just didn't look complete. They, You know, Auburn Ledger, I think, did his best um, out of position a bit. And, you know, he, he's good at taking the ball to the line because he's used to playing in centre and he, he's not scared of contact. So that's a good thing. But they just really lacked a bit of structure in their back line. And although they've got plenty of talent out wide. I don't think that they were able to capitalize on that too much. Um, missing Alamalo as well, I think, was a big one for them, and obviously McKenzie. So I think, yeah, the Chiefs, it's hard to make a, a judgment on them this early because missing those two key players out of their back line. Still, again, maybe their forwards, they've lost a couple of guys as well with Tunafaki and Liam Messam gone. Guys like Brody Retallick, if they're a bit quiet, then their, their, their forward pack probably isn't as dominant. Um, and obviously Sam Kane with that broken neck um, doesn't help either. So Chiefs, look, they battled through plenty of adversity last year and they probably overperformed. It's whether they can do that again. I have my doubts of whether they will be as good as they were last year. But look, I think the Highlanders, they've just got an interesting team in terms of their forwards particularly. They've got a lot of all-black talent in there. And when you got guys like Shannon Frizzell coming off the bench, like you know you're doing something right in terms of how you're manufacturing your squad because um, he's he's a bit of a freak the one person in the Chiefs backline that definitely stood up though was Leonard Brown and had a really strong game really looks like he's going to try and challenge and try and take back that all black jersey that has sort of been taken a bit away from him in, in recent years um, but also a bit of a controversial red card as well to Tompkinson at the end for the Highlanders and made them finish with 14 people um, I still don't know about this this sending him off with a red card saying he's made no attempt to wrap his arms in a tackle and he's made contact with the head. I don't know. It's, it doesn't sound like it was it was that at all. Looking at the tape, it looked like he was trying to wrap his arms around. I would have given him a penalty and nothing else. Yeah, I think that was very harsh. And to be honest, I think if the Highlanders hadn't won this game, they there would be a lot more made of that. Um, so it's a good effort from them, particularly in the last 10 minutes, being able to rally and... And not let that red card affect them too much. Um, and it probably speaks to guys like Aaron Smith and obviously Frizzell coming off the bench and really adding that extra firepower and mm. late in the game there. Um, but you're right, Arch, with Anton Leonard-Brown, what a game from him. He just looked class all across the park. And he actually is, um, I think, continuing on from that form that he showed with the All Blacks last year. And he, people were actually saying, look, he's probably the Form 13 um you know, coming out of that all-black season. So, obviously, with the big push for um, the World Cup and you've got guys like Nonu back, you got Sonny Bill Williams who can play 13 or 12, Leonard Brown, Jack Hoodhue, even guys like Braden Enor coming through. Like, there's kind of little room for error for these New, New Zealand guys, particularly at some of these positions in the back line. So, mm. um, look, I think really strong performance by him and exciting to see when he can link up with McKenzie and Alamalo again because... They're going to do some great things, I think, in the back line. It's just whether, as a full complement, that Chiefs can be as that Chiefs team can be as strong as they were last year. Let's move on to that Crusaders game as well, and they took on the Blues and a closer game than, well, at least that 
than what I expected out of this. The Crusaders um, still getting the win, but it was pretty close, and the Blues had a few chances late in the game to um, take away the win. They they ended up going down 22-24, to 24, though. Yeah, and, like, I mean, I don't think the Crusaders had an excellent game by any stretch. I think it was solid by them, and they're probably warming up a little bit more slowly this year. They they know it's a long year, and they, they know that they're still missing a few guys there, so... They did what they needed to do, but the Blues were a lot more feisty and, you know, really showed some good intent, I think, with the ball. Still probably, you know, they're 5'8". They're they've still got issues there. I think um, Atari Black was... Um, he was a little bit better, perhaps, and then you had Plummer come on late and, and miss a couple of, of penalties. But mm. I think they still maybe lack a little bit of direction in that back line. It does help that you've got veterans like Sonny Bill and... And Nonu obviously there. And I think Nonu was particularly impressive in the first half. I'm not sure if he got gassed a bit in the second because he went missing a bit more. But the first half, he was just everywhere, putting in hits and, and taking the ball to the line really well. So the Blues are an interesting team. Again, I think there's still a lot of potential there for them, but it's whether they can polish up their, their individual performances um, and collectively as a team, whether they can actually really exert that quality. Um, and they're a confidence team, I think. If they if they don't get success early in the season, you could see a bit of that slide again for them where they, they don't quite you know live up to expectations and people get down on them. So who knows? It's going to be tough to pick. Um, Yuani at eight was amazing for them, I thought. Um, and Tuipilotto as well with the captaincy put in a strong performance, but... Yeah, it's 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 a bit of a, a strange mix in that Blues team, and we just need to see how they they come through after the first few weeks. As always, Blues team in transition, but falling two points short of the Crusaders, you're definitely in the right spot. And good new players, they've they've got plenty of time to to develop and become more competitive. I'd, I'm not too worried about them at this stage. Look, and they they had Tuanafaki and Tungafasi as the props on the bench, so two All Blacks props on the bench, and Augustine Pulu and SBW coming off the bench. So this starting 15 is going to change, I think, dramatically over the next few weeks as well. So, um, yeah, look, I think a bit of growth there will come. Yeah, definitely. And I think if they get that youngster, Perifetta, back into number 10, that may help them uh, a little bit more down the track as well. Um, moving on, we have the Sunwolves uh, hosting the Sharks over in Singapore. And what looked to be close to start with, the Sharks just ran away with this one, 45-10. to 10. Um, Sharks really keeping going where they left off last year. The Dupree brothers both putting in uh, solid performances in this one, but solid performances all around the park and some, some good tries scored by the Sharks in this one, taking away the bonus point. Yeah, and unfortunately, a regression for the Sunwolves back to a team that can't quite manage 80 minutes. Through 33, it was 10-all. And, and then the Sharks just ran them down. And, and as you said, the Dupree's boys, very, very important in this game. Really good kicking from Rob Dupree's. But the back line as a whole looked really slick. They were they were passing the ball well, hitting the mark. able to. And when that's happening, it's much easier to control when you're drawing that defense out of position and really tempt the players to come in, come up hard, and then quickly move the ball on and outflank and, and move around them. So... Um, again, another another on the road as well for the Sharks. Com- competitive game uh, early on, and they they stuck it out. They played the eighty and looked really strong. So they'll be they'll be looking to take out some of their South African brethren when they get home. I had this feeling that the Sunwolves were going to take it to the next level, um, and then once I saw the team sheet on this game, I just thought it doesn't look right. They were, they didn't have Michael Little starting. They were missing guys like. Um, who's the number eight? Michael Leach, guys like that. Just it, it looked again like a team that you would have seen them put out maybe two years ago, um, lacking a bit of that quality. It's it's disappointing. I hope they can turn it around because they really need to have some success there in Tokyo for this team to kind of last. Yeah, you got to remember it's only first game of the season though for these guys. These guys are still getting people back into match fitness, so I think I think it's. Too early to say they're not going to take the step up in this year. They may just need to take the time to try and uh, build this a little bit more, and it may take a week or two into the season, unfortunately, to get to get there. 
Yeah, and they've got Ben Parker starting at 10, and that's going to be the linchpin of that back line and, and coordinating forwards to the backs. Mm. Um, the, the halves pairing might be one of their best assets if they can stick with that. It just might mean they, they haven't managed to carry any momentum from last season. They're getting a flat start. Disappointing, but there's still lots of potential there. They'll still challenge some teams that come to visit them. Um, their goals are probably just to get some away wins more than anything, show some consistency on the road, home to away. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so let's move on to some of the South African games. The Bulls versus Storms, and the Bulls just absolutely blew them off the park, 40 points to three. That Bulls uh, whole team looks really dominant, but um, that back line led around by Andre Pollard looks absolutely amazing. Yeah, that really, really smooth back line play and, and a bit of creativity and flair. Like we see, we saw some uh, different variations in, in their attacks, some chip kicks, um, some out to the fringes, some some cutting sort of cross lines through the through the center of the park. Uh, I think they made really good use of Roscoe Speckman, the debutant. He's come across from the Springbok Seven side, mm. and he showed his pace and his step. Uh, he's going to be a, a wily, uh, nimble winger that we need to keep a close eye on when the Australian teams face up to him, not give him too much space because uh, he's he's definitely a, a a special little player. But as a whole, just looked really polished. Uh, and the Bulls, who have at times been a more of a grinding forwards team, uh, not particularly known for their for their creativity, um, definitely showed a different side to themselves this year uh, in round one with carving the Storms who can only get one penalty kick. Yeah, I don't know if you can really do, say that much about the Stormers game. We just didn't see a lot of what they could really do. I think you got to sort of just completely write that off and see see what they can bring next game for them. But Bulls definitely very impressive. We'll go to the last game of the round and the Haguaris hosting the Lions over in South America. And I'm pretty sure, boys, this, this actually completed my perfect tipping round for the weekend. So I was pretty happy to see the Lions get the win here. But the Lions took took it to them. Three tries to Skoman, the number six, um, helped them over the line, along with some questionable refereeing calls, potentially. Uh, but the Lions winning this one, 25 to 16. Yeah, I thought the Haguaras were a bit hard done by here. They they had some pretty enterprising play. They got very close. They had a, a trial to disallowed, um, but some really key moments where they were in in good attacking uh, form, building phases, and the Lions were allowed by the referees to just swamp the breakdown. The tacklers weren't releasing the the Haguaras players, and they were giving giving penalties to the Lions, turn the ball over, saying the Haguaras weren't letting go of the ball. So. I was a bit disappointed about that because I thought that just took the the nice bounce out of the game. They were really evenly matched, so it's coming out hard in defence, both attacking really ferociously, trying different things. Not too many errors, like some some knock-ons, but it's a pretty frenetic rate of play. So um, really, really good game. And just uh, for mine, I feel bad for the Haguaras. That I had the Haguaras tipped, and I think it would have been pretty even, and then might have been you know by by the margin of one penalty kick perhaps if the, the balance of the calls had been a bit more even. Yeah, agreed, Lee. I think the refereeing had, you know, left a lot to be desired. Um, I was going to tip the Haguaras. I thought they'd start really strong. But once I saw that Lions team sheet, I, I had to quickly change my tip. And to be honest, I was really impressed with the Haguaras. I thought they had really good intent. Um, they looked like they were really attacking well and had had um, a good kind of direct play to them. And, didn't make too many errors, um, but just really didn't, I guess, take their opportunities necessarily. And I think that probably came down to the, the strong defense of the Lions. Um, overall, I think the Haguaros this year will be a pretty strong team. It, they probably just didn't you know, quite put it together in this one, but I think they'll definitely step it up against the Bulls next week. Yeah, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens when that uh, force of the Bulls come to town. But... Let's get into some of the games from next week and get a few tips on board. Uh, we'll start with Friday night. And there's only one game on Friday night this time. It's the Highlanders uh, heading back home in Forsyth Bar and playing host to the Reds. Reds' first game of the season. What do you what do you see coming out of this? Are the Reds going to be ready for to take a win over in New Zealand? Uh, look, I think it's going to be too early for the Reds at um, Forsyth Bar. I think it's going to be a tough ask particularly when the Highlanders have already had a bit of a 
bit of a hit out against the Chiefs and um, got that win away from home. I think coming back to a pretty enthusiastic crowd there will do them a lot of good. Um, they The Reds are going to have some challenges, I think, across their, their back line this year. I think Bryce Hegarty might start at 15, um, and you still obviously got Hamish Stewart acclimatising at 10. Um, there is some talent there with Karevi and Patea in the centres, I think. You'll probably see. But I think overall, unless the, the Reds can completely dominate the Highlanders' forward, forwards up front physically... I'm not sure that their backs will get enough opportunity to score the points needed to win this one. Um, I'm happy to be proven wrong, but I think the Reds still are developing, um, and I think the Highlanders are just probably at that next level. Yeah, I agree. The uh, the Highlanders have now shown they can win away under pressure. The Reds are a bit unknown. I would love to see the Reds step up for, for them first game of the season, but I'm probably not quite confident enough to actually tip them uh, but I'm, I'm sure they'll be very competitive even away from home. Yeah, I'm going to have to join you boys tipping the Highlanders in this one. Reds, uh, I'll be interested to see how their forward pack goes against that Highlanders potent forward pack, but um, I think the Highlanders at home are just going to be a bit too strong. Next we'll go to Saturday afternoon, and in Tokyo, the Sunwolves playing host to the Waratahs. And Boys, do you think the Sunwolves are going to pick up a bit here, or do you think the Waratahs can bounce back from that Heartbreaking last-minute loss to the Hurricanes. Nah, the Waratahs have this one. I reckon the the Sunwolves again home back in Tokyo, but I think the I think the Waratahs can definitely take this one. They're they're a stronger team all around the park. They're a bigger team. They're well conditioned. I think they'll have this one. True story. I'm gonna have to take the Tars as well. Pretty much exactly as you said. True story. Fact. I think um, look the Waratahs. I think I have too many points in them. Really interested to see this back line consisting of Beal and Carmichael at centre. And I think, look, Falau's going to fire up. He could get a hat-trick in this one. I think Bernard Foley will be really determined to make amends for last week. Look for the, the Tars to score 40 or 50 in this one, I reckon. That'd be nice to see. Next, we'll head to Canberra on Saturday night and the Brumbies taking on the Chiefs. And a bit sad for uh, Tony Puller to miss out this revenge game. Uh, but... I'll be looking for the Brumbies to take a bit of a step up again, and if the Chiefs put out the similar lineup to what they did, I don't think their Auburn Ledger is the best sort of number ten to unleash their backline. Particularly, I reckon the Brumbies might be able to put one over the Chiefs um, in Canberra just through some hard forward play. Yeah, look, I would agree, Arch. I think if they put in out the same team as last week, um, I would take the Brumbies even without Pocock, maybe. But I get the feeling maybe the Chiefs will welcome back. A slightly better team this week and they just they're a dangerous under unpredictable team um so i think I'll, I'll pick them early on until i kind of have the benefit of the team sheets i also think the brumbies will will have a good chance to have this one i uh, don't think the chiefs will have the full strength lineup to bring to gio so round two you missed your chance last week let's make gio a fortress of the brumbies take on a, a strong team from last year before they have time to get some momentum in the season Okay, and then they go to the overseas games that we have, and we have the Crusaders versus the Hurricanes. Uh, that's coming on Saturday afternoon, just before that Brumbies Chiefs game. Uh, Crusaders looking to take two from two to start the season at home. Yeah, this is this is going to be a crack. Obviously, um, you got to see Bodie playing in this game. I think the Canes will be fired up, um, but I don't think it'll matter. I think the Crusaders at home they have the class. They have a more I think well-balanced team and yeah they they it's, I think it'll be close but I'm going to take the Saders. Yeah, Crusaders for me. Yeah, I think we've, we've said the Hurricanes don't look quite as on form as they have been in previous years and even in those times they never really been able to get one over the Crusaders so I don't think this game was going to be any different really. All right, Sharks versus Blues that's midnight on Sunday out of Durban. Sharks at home coming up for win. I think the Sharks are going to take it as well at home. No way the Blues are going to be able to put one over here. Blues have had some good wins in South Africa, beating the Lions last year, but I don't think they replicate it here. I actually think that the Blues might surprise some people this week and put together a more polished performance. And I think the Sharks, even though they did have a big win, um, it was against the Sunwolves. And the Blues are, have a lot more talent there, so I'm going to take them. After that, we're heading over to Newlands and Cape Town and the Stormers hosting the Lions. And 
Do you think there's any chance the Stormers show us a little bit more this week than last? Yeah, look, I think the Stormers will be more competitive. I do think they'll put in a better showing, but yeah, it's whether the Lions can, um, you know, they've come they've come back across from South, South America. They might be a bit more jet-lagged here. I think it'll be a closer game, but I'm still taking the Lions. Yeah, I won't be tipping the Stormers until they score a try at least in one of the, competi- in one of the rounds, so I'm going Lions. Actually, relevant history is the Stormers haven't actually beaten the Lions since 2015, so definitely history on the side of the Lions, definitely taking the Lions. And the last game of the week is the Haguaris versus the Bulls. They're still in South America. The Haguaris get this long sort of home game schedule to start off the season. Give me the Bulls. Um, I think you're starting to see a bit of that form from last year. They've got a couple more recruits that have come into the Bulls. A bit more class there. Vimulin leading from the front. And look, I think they could surplus even the 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 Lions this year. I think the Bulls for me. Yeah, Bulls were excellent last week. I think Haguaris were hard done by, but two teams very balanced. I'm going to go the home team and go with Haguaris. Ooh, bold. Keeping on those Haguaris, Leo. Um, I'm almost inclined to agree with you. I think if they get if they get people like Buffelli back into their starting team, I'd, I'd be inclined to go there just to give them a bit more attacking prowess. But um, if it's similar lineups to last week, I don't think they'll be able to get past the Bulls that are probably riding on a high at the moment. Well, let's get into Six Nations Corner. We've had a week off from this, and uh, we'll bring you in as our specialist, uh, Toby, with your Northern Hemisphere experience up there. But We've been a week since we've had any Six Nations talk and some of these players have been playing back in their club games and unfortunate news for the first game because France versus Scotland coming out of Paris and looks like Scotland are going to miss Finn Russell because he got injured in his club team. Yeah, that's massive news for Scotland and I believe they're also without Stuart Hogarch. I think that's right. Yeah, he suffered a shoulder injury two weeks ago. Two massive outs for that Scottish back line that has been you know firing of late I think they've got some quality players there now they've established them in those positions and you know they're guys that would play for the Lions I think so it's um it's going to be tough for Scotland over in Paris um I think guys like Bastereau they're they're playing they're playing out of passion a lot of the time they they really um I think will be fired up for this one in terms of a depleted Scotland outfit it's going to be a fiery clash I think and a good game but um Look, I'm still going to take Scotland. Um, I think they do have the players to get this done still. Um, but France is so unpredictable. You could just see them on their day really firing up and taking this. So um, I think Leo's taking France, Arch. I'm not sure what you're going to do. But, um, yeah, I think either way in this one, it's going to be a close game. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a good game. There's been a lot of controversy with France, uh, especially over their coaches over the last week. Um, just talking about how they haven't managed to grow a lot of the depth that they should have, like a lot of these other nations have managed to do. Um, we've seen a little bit of a push for younger teams in this game. Uh, people like Morgan Power have been dropped, um, and they're going to give the start to Dupont and Romain Tamac, who's a bit of a legacy in, in French rugby. Um, and they came off the bench two weeks ago and really sparked a little bit more um, passion again in that game versus England. So... I think France might bounce back now under, under the leadership of some of these young guys and a little bit of forgetting what the history is um, for France in recent years. I really I like that call and I it's it is very tough for France and a lot of why they have problems, which I think we've discussed perhaps last year on the pod, is that look they have this competition domestically that injected with a lot of cash there's a lot of um you know big name players coming and playing there perhaps in their latter years and it actually stops some of these younger guys coming through um and you you see a similar thing in football for for england in the premier league um so the the strength of their domestic competition in terms of foreign players actually does have a big big impact on their national team um so i think it is good to kind of see that they're trying to take you know they're trying to look towards the future a little bit um even though the world cups this year they're they're really trying to blood some new talent there and and um make some bold calls so um i think that will pay dividends whether it's now or next year or the year after um but it's something they need to do and guys like morgan para has been around for a long time they Mm. tend to hold on to these guys for particularly the playmakers at nine and ten you tend to see 
guys like you know Parra or Michelac just recycled year after year and um, look it's it's good to see a change and I'm sure it's going to be some exciting rugby that comes um, by virtue of that but probably a bigger game this weekend and it's the top of the table clash and it's Wales versus England out of Cardiff so Wales at home England uh, they're, they're without someone like Morris and Toje in this game but otherwise look to have a reasonably full strength outfit uh, so it'll be a, a really tough one for Wales to try and topple England but they've been known to do it that's sort of their MO isn't it Wales can usually get one over England just when they're feeling confident yeah they, I think look the fact that it's in Wales as well in Cardiff where they get a lot of buoyancy from the crowd I I wouldn't part put it past Wales actually you know getting one over England here but just the way that England has gone about their business in this Six Nations it's it's really hard to pick against them I'm going to take England I think Toje is a big loss but I think they've got guys in there um, that can cover him um, so Eddie Jones I think has has really turned this team around in some respects they, they look confident they're scoring a lot of points and um yeah, I, th- I think, look, they've got to be seen as favourites to take out this Six Nations now. Um, they beat Ireland in Dublin. Um, and, look, the next challenge is to, to take Wales out in Cardiff. If they can do this, I think they're going to pretty much wrap up, maybe even a Grand Slam, who knows. But um, it's a massive game, and I think this is definitely the game of the weekend. Yeah, definitely. For myself, though, any chance I get to tip against Eddie Jones in England, I'm taking it. So I'm, I'm going to take Wales in the upset. Uh, I think that a lot of things will have to go right for the the men in red, the dragon. Um, but I think they can potentially, if they get on top of England early, they can probably make them panic a little bit and maybe steal a victory here. Yeah, and I think Leo's taking England as well, so he's taking the safer option there, Arch. But yeah, um, you can't really blame him for that. Yeah, fair enough. And the last game of the weekend, probably a bit more of a sure thing, um, out of Rome, Italy versus Ireland. Um, I don't think many people would be looking at Italy to score its first Six Nations win in many years um, versus Ireland, even though they are at home. Yeah, it's a bit of a sad story with with Italy that just carries on year to year at the moment. Um, Not sure they've had a win for three or four years now in the competition. So I don't know. Is Is it time, like we talked about, a year ago, is it time to bring in a team like Georgia? Is it time to, to shake up this Six Nations competition or kind of formulate a, a second tier six or five or six nations competition where you've got some of these other teams coming through and there's a bit of a relegation program there because Italy are just not up to standard at the moment and it's it's almost a bit of a gimme for any team that comes up against them. Yeah, I think I think it may be getting closer. I don't know even how much money is really bringing in uh, Italy is really bringing into this competition in any case. Um, but for, for us, all three of us, looks like we're taking Ireland in that one. Um, something that we probably didn't touch on that we should as well is the Super W is starting this weekend as well. So we have a couple of games in that. Um, Saturday afternoon, the, the Brumbies are taking on the Waratahs uh, women. And, and on Sunday, the Rebels taking on the Queensland Reds. Um, Toby, any, any feelings on, on the Super W this year? Um, I think it's, it's obviously going to grow... Um, again, it's going to get more of a viewership. Um, hopefully, you know, they streamline the game so that people actually get an opportunity to go and see them live. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's good to see the women not just, you know, having success perhaps in the sevens. The 15 game is still growing. Um, and I think long term, that's definitely an opportunity in terms of, um, you know, having more content out there for rugby and having more opportunities there for young girls coming out and playing um, throughout the, the school system. So hopefully, um, you know what, get behind it. I think um, there's some big hits always and, and there's some some of the skill set of these girls are just, you know, it's up there with the men. They really do, um, you know, really have finesse some of their skills um, and taking, uh, I think, a leaf out of that sevens, Australian seven teams book essentially. Yeah, um, I definitely think the Tars are going to have another strong showing this year. They've still maintained a lot of good players with people like Ash Houston, their captain at 15. They're going to be um, continue to be a strong force, so I expect them to take one over the Brumbies as well and probably um, Queensland to get the rub over the Rebels. Rebels definitely a young team, not not as much established talent there. They, they may need a little bit more time to grow grow in this competition. 
That just about wraps it up from us, guys. Uh, one last final ups- update in Major League Rugby. New Orleans Gold uh, are now tied on top with the San Diego Legion, each with three wins out of four. So we'll keep you updated on that as well. Um, remember to jump in and join our Super Rugby Tipping Competition. That's on superbrew.com. And just you find all the details for that in, on our Instagram page. You can join our pool. We're, you're one week behind, but you may, you may still be able to get on top of it. Uh, the latest update is that Archie is on top and winning that. Uh, so I don't expect that to change um, very soon. But, you know, get on there. Challenge me, boys. Um, remember to follow us on all those social media pages on Instagram and Facebook at Running Rugby Podcast and on Twitter at Running Rugby Pod. Um, as well as downloading and subscribing to us, guys, on all, all major platforms, but Apple Podcasts and Spotify, that's where you can find us. Uh, it's just been a good one. I think it's going to be another big week of uh, Super Rugby. Six Nations action, there's plenty going on. Let's hope that the Australian teams can um, get some ascendancy this week. That's it. Hopefully we'll see more than one Australian victory this weekend. Want to keep building towards that 2019 World Cup in the future, but one week at a time. As always, guys, we'll be back next week to construct all these games again. Um, but until then, keep on running. Run. You're like frozen anyway. Am I? Your audio sounds real good though. It's like it's... I don't know what's happening like...